0: Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com and the mobile app. You can also tune in on various podcast platforms. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Glad to have you aboard. Multiple ways for you to interact with us over the course of the next 60 minutes. 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. You can also chime in via Twitter directly with us. I'm at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And you can submit your questions Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK question. So, Paul, we are inching closer to the start of training camp. Actually, exactly a week away from the scheduled date of July 28th, where all teams are hopeful that they will be getting up and ready for the beginning of moving closer to physical activity. I think we should start with some of the latest NFL developments because the news is encouraging. Yesterday, multiple reports, Paul, that both sides have hammered out an agreement in terms of the medical protocols that they're going to test on a daily basis for the first two weeks of camp. And then if the percentage of positive return is below 5%, they'll then scale that back to once every other day. And it looks as if, The NFL's latest proposal also means no preseason games, which is one of the criteria that the players have been arguing for. So I think the positive takeaway, once again, is not only are we inching closer to training camp, but we're inching closer to both groups seem to be finding that common ground.
1: Well, you know, Lance, I believe if I didn't say it on BBKL when this whole pandemic thing started back in the middle of March, I certainly felt this way. That the one thing above all else that was going to have to be in place before we had any chance of having an NFL season this year was going to be the testing. And I felt if that was there, then it was going to be awfully difficult to stop this game from going on. And now that we've got a, a deal together... Which not only says, okay, they're going to have enough tests because they've got a medical outlet that the NFL has contracted with to provide them with what they believe to be adequate tests and enough of a supply of tests. I I think it's full speed ahead. I, I feel extremely confident now that there will be an NFL season. Now, in what shape or form, what are the dates that everything happens? I still think those things are fluid. I'm not believing anything is in stone or cement other than I am very, very confident that the Giants and everybody else in the NFL are going to have some football this year. Well, I'm completely with you. I
0: think my biggest concern was I did not want to see both parties go down that same road as Major League Baseball went when it seemed as if it became more of a CBA negotiation, Paul, than perhaps just working out the logistics to try to get a season up and running this year. And the fact that it looks like, hopefully, we are going to avoid that. Clearly, there are, in fairness, some economic issues that have to be worked out. But I think that they're certainly moving closer to finding a common ground there. But I think with respect to the testing, and you just alluded to this, the fact that they have hired out a company One of the biggest priorities for the NFL was that they did not want to take away resources and testing from the local communities, Paul. And I think that's what they emphasized with this latest announcement and these reports that they have found their own company that's going to deal with the NFL, and that's not going to have anything to do with local hospitals or entities. So the reason why I bring that up is there are a lot of people that point out, well, why do players, why do leagues seem to be getting preferential treatment? Well, that should not be brought to the forefront when we're talking about the relationship that the NFL is building with some of these other companies.
1: Well, I believe all the time, Lance, this goes for every product across the board. There is a consumer pipeline for some products, and then there's also a commercial pipeline for some products. For example, like if you went to buy a laptop computer, there are commercial lines that go through commercial supply lines. And then there are consumer versions of the computer that you're going to find at your local store or on the Internet. Uh, They they are two expressly different supply lines and unless i misunderstood the the giants are as you said not uh, not the giants but the nfl they're not going through the public supply lines for this testing they are independently going through a commercial supply line and coming up with the necessary funds on their own because let's face it the stuff does cost money uh to have the laboratory give them what they need to try to get a product on the field
0: Lance Metal, Paul Detino with you here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Now, that's the medical side of things, which is certainly encouraging. As far as on the field is concerned, it looks as if we're going to have a very lengthy ramp-up, Paul, to the start of the season, if the reports are true that there will not be any preseason games. And that means that, once again, those limited opportunities for this Giants coaching staff specifically to evaluate the players— And they may only wind up, Paul, based on the timeline that I've seen with about two weeks of padded practices. Because it's important to know, Paul... They're going to get back to the facility, and the first thing is they're not going to throw these guys on the field in live practice situations. There's going to be a strength and conditioning phase, and then little by little they're going to get on the field. So the reason why I think that's important to bring up, this is where the continuity carryover from 19 versus the teams with new players and new schemes comes into play, I would argue, even more. Because when you have a preseason game, you could say, well, maybe that helps offset some of the differences. Now, the Giants, like many other teams that have new staffs and a lot of new faces, it's going to be quite the uphill battle with potentially just two weeks of padded practices and then straight to your first week game.
1: Well, the only way that these teams, and we're going to put the Giants in with a boat of about half a dozen other teams that have had significant changes in their coaching staffs. And let's face it, too, the Giants could have as many as two dozen new players on their roster as well. So it's not just coaching staff, it's player and player relationships that are going to be new as well. Uh, It seems to me that the best thing that could happen to any of those teams specifically is that there are going to be a, a controlled scrimmage or two. Because they will have, if they can get controlled scrimmages underway, the opportunity to go through a dry run of what the logistics will be on a real NFL game day. And I think that's as important as anything else. Now, I know you're talking more about the physical hitting and some of the things that will physically and mechanically happen on the field. And I accept that. There's no question that's something that you have to consider. But... I also believe just the game day logistics of how teams are going to have protocols and rules to follow, and this is how we do this, and this is how we're going to handle that, that to me is something that I know from the very beginning the league was hoping that they would have at least one preseason game because they wanted everybody to be able to go through a dry run of what a game day would be before they started to make these things count. And so I'm thinking that, you know, we may see a scrimmage or two between some teams that are going to be regionally located. And I think the Giants and Jets obviously make the most sense just to give everybody a comfort zone for what things could look like on a a game day experience. And I'm with you, Paul.
0: I brought up the physicality of the sport, as you noted, but I was campaigning for at least one preseason game, and I completely understand where the players are coming from. It's not worth the safety risk for a game that doesn't mean much in the standings, but I was putting more value as you were with respect to a preseason game this year, maybe more so than previous years, because it's not a matter of you having an opportunity to just evaluate your players. It's also, to your point, evaluating the logistics. Okay, How are we getting into the stadium? What do our players need to get ready for? How much earlier do they maybe need to get to the stadium if there's going to be a long line for them to have their temperature taken or something to that degree? I'm just giving you a hypothetical. Those are things that I think are important for somebody to know what you're doing before you actually get into it. It's no different, Paul, than building the analogy of, can you imagine if a team didn't practice at all and just showed up every Sunday and played a game and hoped for the best? the results would be horrendous. That's why they practice every week, right? You get ready and you make sure that you know all the plays. You also make sure that the communication between the coaching staff and the players is in sync. And that's the other aspect that I want to bring up because I think that's not being covered enough, Paul, with respect to having no preseason games. Let's use the Giants' coaching staff. Let's specifically put them under the lens. Jason Garrett is a new coordinator to this team. Don't you think it's valuable that he runs through some game situations with Daniel Jones, with Daniel Jones hearing it in his helmet so that he knows what to anticipate on game day and for them to work out the logistics of we're going to have guys up in the boxes as opposed to on the sideline? See, that's where I think the preseason environment for specifically a new coaching staff is absolutely key as opposed to Mike Tomlin, for example, in the Steelers staff. They've been through These logistics, it's not the first rodeo for Ben Roethlisberger and some of the personnel around him. For the Giants, though, Paul, very much different dynamics we're talking about.
1: Look, I'm going to equate this for a second to music, right? Let's say you have two people who are going to want to do a a duet, and they can talk all they want about how they're going to sing this particular number, but until they actually get in the studio together and they sing together, that harmony is, is still hypothetical you have to be able to work together under live conditions to make everything smooth and to make it run exactly as you want it to run so for a daniel jones and a jason garrett to say everything that they want to say to each other about well how do we call plays how are we going to talk about things between uh times out on the field because when the defense is out there i want to be able to talk to you well okay you're going to be in the box so i don't know you're going to be down on the sideline no i don't know okay well even if we know where you're going to be be how does that conversation take place is it more Jones just listens is it give and take what are the what are the attitudes uh, that that guys are going to have while they're actually in live game action because people react differently in pressure- packed environments when everything is live and and for real and so these are all the types of things that it it's important I could not agree with you more which is why I was totally, 150% on board with having at least one preseason game and why I am supporting now some type of scrimmage because these are things you can talk about till you're blue in the face, and I'm not really using a pun there on purpose, but until you actually do it, you don't know specifically how people are going to react or, for that matter, interact. It is a
0: big deal. I'm completely with you once again. It will be interesting if they do allow teams to hold scrimmages because that, to me, is very similar to a joint practice, Paul, which they clearly already outlawed several weeks ago. So if you're not going to have the structure of a preseason game, you're going to allow teams to scrimmage, it's got to be even across the board because you can't just let one or two teams decide to scrimmage because, to your point, the Giants and the Jets geographically are ideal where they both can hop on a bus – the Giants could technically walk and go right to MetLife Stadium mm-hmm. and hold the scrimmage. But then all of a sudden, team that is in the middle of the country does not have a team within that distance. What are you going to do?
1: Well, it may Some even teams teams be an have intra-squad to get on a scrimmage. a plane,
0: Paul, to get
1: to a stadium. Yeah, but but it could even be an intra-squad scrimmage because if you're going okay. to have— well, that makes sense. You know, even if—well, I'm, I'm saying scrimmage because I'm open to any type of scrimmage. It doesn't have to be team against team. It could be a blue-and-white scrimmage. You yeah. know, like the colleges do. Uh, so, Giants would be a blue and white scrimmage. The Jets would have a green and white scrimmage. If you have to do that, and and it's not a real game, but a truncated game because it it's set up with the parameters of how we would run a game day, but you wouldn't necessarily have four quarters. I mean, look look at what they did with baseball the other day, right? The Yankees and Mets played a game at Yankee Stadium, and the Yankees were winning six to nothing, and the game was technically over but the Yankees got to bat in the bottom of the ninth because the managers had already predetermined that they wanted so many guys to get at bats and so many pitchers to get pitches in. So it was kind of like a game, but it really wasn't a game because they kind of changed the rules a little bit to fit their purposes and what they needed to get out of their players. I think you could probably do that with an inter-squad scrimmage, if necessary. And that, to me, would be a heck of a lot better than doing nothing.
0: It's just like a spring game in College ball, as you mentioned, where usually they have the team split up, and it's actually the beginning of the offseason. And fans even sometimes come. Of course, fans wouldn't come to this. and sure. Actually, I may be mistaken, but I believe the Jets do exactly what you're talking about on an annual basis, if I'm correct. They always have that green-white game at MetLife Stadium, I believe, on an annual basis. So for them, it really wouldn't be anything new. The difference is, though... If the Giants wind up utilizing MetLife Stadium, I know there's been some whispers and rumors that that may happen because clearly there's more space, which I think would be practical. Paul, they could use the boxes – for bigger rooms to have their positional group meetings. If the Giants are utilizing that stadium, then of course they'd have to work that out with the Jets. But I think that any team that is in the vicinity of a stadium, and there are a number of teams that are, I think they should look to use their stadiums because I think that would give them much more space and much more leeway
1: to try to run camp as smooth as possible. Well, for example, the Pittsburgh Steelers, <laughs> you know, yeah. they do things right there, just like the Giants do. That's that's beautiful for them. To me, that's an advantage. No matter how much experience that your players and coaches have with each other, I do think that being able to work out and to uh, run your operations in your own stadium, not just your practice field, but in your own stadium, is got to be considered a plus right now.
0: Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're focusing on some of the latest NFL news. And according to multiple reports, it seems that both sides have agreed to the medical testing component, that they're going to test the players every day for at least the first two weeks of camp. And it looks as if the NFL's latest proposal has met the condition that the players wanted no preseason games. But that also brings up challenges in terms of the logistics, as well as the physical component to get ready for the season. With that being said, let's open up the phone lines, 973 1960 tweeted us at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants WFAN. Glenn is in Florida. He gets us going on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Glenn?
2: Hey, guys. What do you think about Daniel Jones and his second season coming off of his rookie season?
0: You're talking about, in general, the outlook for Daniel Jones? Yes, well, we certainly have covered this topic more often than not, but we'll be more than happy to address it again. Paul, I think when Sorry. you look at Daniel Jones, and appreciate the phone call, Glenn. Thanks so much for weighing in. I think the key is the ball security component. And actually, John, I and you, we all had a very detailed conversation breaking down all of the fumbles. You provided a lot of Interesting statistics that you got to break them down. You can't just look at them on the surface. But from a general sense, I think there's one area that you would ask me that Daniel Jones needs to improve upon entering the sophomore year is, of course, cutting down on the fumbles lost as well as the interceptions. More of the combination of both because he was responsible for 23 of the 33. And if he could clean that up, that's going to be much more promising for the offensive outlook because you're going to have more at-bats, you're going to have more opportunities, and hopefully you would rest the defense a little bit more. So to me, ball security goes hand-in-hand with many other aspects of this team. That's where I would start in terms of the outlook for Daniel Jones this season.
1: Yeah, I think anything that you discuss regarding Daniel Jones has to start with cutting down on the turnovers. Everything else will take care of itself in, in due time with maturity with the natural growing process it's the turnover thing that some of that will come naturally but there's also part of it that he's going to have to work on himself and and that's that's where it, the impetus is going to be on him and you can't just say well you know just let the kid alone and and it'll all just develop as he matures no 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 there there are definitely some things that he needs to make sure technically that he does to help himself out uh, with with you know not turning the ball over. Again, some will come with maturity and experience, but, but some of it is going to have to be stuff that he acknowledges and that he is cognizant of and that he is willing to improve and work on.
0: Now, as far as the other aspects to his game, I love the combination, at least on paper right now, Daniel Jones and Jason Garrett, because Garrett has a track record of working with a lot of quarterbacks throughout the course of his career. Garrett also is a former quarterback himself, and if you're going to tell me that when you told Jason Garrett you're inheriting a quarterback that, as a rookie in this league, who also didn't start immediately week one, had a two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio, had a very respectable completion percentage, and... This is the same offensive coordinator, Paul, that worked with a young Dak Prescott who had to take over immediately out of the blue as the starter. He also helped develop Tony Romo. I think that combination, there's certainly a lot to like on the surface if we're talking about what Daniel Jones could potentially do in his second year in the NFL.
1: Well, you know, I think that Jason Garrett, from the time that he was backing up with the Giants many years ago, had always had aspirations to be a coach, and this is something that, you know, he kind of grew into from his days as a player. We knew that this was going to happen. We all were very confident he'd be an offensive coordinator and probably become a very good head coach at some point during his career. So he's a lifelong football guy. His entire family are a bunch of football guys. So Jason Garrett is personally invested and everything that it's going to take to make Daniel Jones an all-pro type of quarterback. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think Daniel Jones is smart enough to understand that he's very, very fortunate to have come into this game under Eli Manning, who is a legend and a future Hall of Famer, and now has the opportunity to learn from somebody like Jason Garrett. I I just I can't think that it that you'd have a better situation to walk into if you were coming out of Duke and entering the NFL.
0: Plus, on top of that, a lot of the personnel around him – he already has experience with from last season, whether it be Evan Ingram and Caden Smith at the tight end positions, the three main wide receivers he's worked with at some point. They haven't all been on the field together, but he certainly worked with them in 2019. And then, of course, you have Saquon Barkley, and you may have a new face or two on the offensive line, but I think that's going to bode well for Daniel Jones. I think the only thing that I'm a bit concerned about, and I know I've brought... This up with you multiple times is I just think of the development of a young quarterback and what I've seen with other quarterbacks. This is not necessarily to say Daniel Jones is going to go down the same road, but Mark Sanchez, Alex Smith, I think is the poster child. He had six offensive coordinators in the span of his first seven seasons in the NFL. Now, is Daniel Jones going down that road? No, that's not what I'm saying, Paul. But let's face the reality. Last year at Duke, one system. Then Pat Shermer and Mike Shula, another system. And now you're throwing in Jason Garrett and this new scheme. Yes, a lot of well versed quarterback coaches well-versed offensive coordinators. We're not disputing that. But it is still a lot of change, Paul, in the span of a short period of time. So that, to me, is the one thing, I guess, that I'm throwing out there to monitor because I've seen other QBs struggle in that department. Hopefully, Daniel Jones will not have to go down that road. He is
1: a very, very intelligent young man. And I think we can also say with a tremendous amount of confidence after being around him a lot last year, that he's also got a very high football acumen. Yeah. So my worries in that regard are probably not going to be very large. And I agree with you,
0: and I think that's a very valid point. We saw that firsthand. The only thing I'll counter is Alex Smith, I think, is also a very high IQ quarterback, and I don't think his struggles early in his career was simply the fact that he couldn't handle it. I just think when you throw a lot of change and a lot of movable parts around the quarterback – it brings in the worries and concerns about stability. As you well know, listen, this even goes back to Paul conversations we've had about Eli Manning. Okay, When Eli Manning was given stability, meaning good offensive line play, the weapons around him were healthy, he had the same voice in his ear. I don't think anybody questioned that Eli Manning could perform at a high level. But then... When you throw that rolling in the dice mentality and now you're changing things, Paul, I don't care if you were a polished veteran, a seasoned pro, a rookie. I have seen every type of quarterback have their fair share of ups and downs when you don't provide that position with stability. So that's the key operating phrase. Will stability be synonymous with Daniel Jones in 2020 and beyond? If the answer is yes, then you're paving out a very nice path. If it's going to be more up and down, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, all bets are off.
1: Well, you know, Lance, when you talk about stability, stability can actually be defined for him in a lot of ways. Uh, You talk about the different voices that he's had to listen to over the course of the last three years. That's certainly one way to talk about stability. The other way to talk about it is uh, who's he going to have in his backfield and who is he going to have running his routes? Because we did see, you know, as we've talked about many times on the program about the injuries that the Giants had at the wide receiver position last year. And also, quite frankly, Saquon Barkley missed some time, too. So stability takes on a number of different definitions when you talk about the quarterback. Even the offensive line is another yeah. way to define stability. Does he know that he can count on certain guys being in certain spots when he drops back to pass? Uh So, yeah, I'd say that is a very magical word to anybody who's going to be taking snaps on the football field.
0: Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Glenn in Florida, thanks again for the question regarding Daniel Jones. 973-667-1960 is the telephone number. We'll continue to field more of your phone calls as well as your tweets as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. I want to piggyback off of one of the last points you brought up with respect to the offensive line and how it's important to build that chemistry and that continuity. And that brings me to, once again, the structure of training camp, as perhaps it appears on paper, and how it's going to be this very lengthy ramp-up. But when it's all said and done, Paul, just maybe two weeks of padded practices, and what that means specifically for the Giants, because this is clearly the team we're focusing on more so than the rest of the NFL, but also what it means, Paul, for the coaching staff to develop competition In practice, because if there's no preseason games, okay, now the undrafted guys, the back end guys, they know, Paul, I can't get in a preseason game and I can't show the Giants coaching staff. I can't show the rest of the league what I'm all about. Okay, so how exactly do I manufacture competition? How exactly do I put that idea in the back of this coach's mind? Hey, I deserve one of the 53 man roster spots. That to me is going to be a significant challenge. Because if you only have two weeks of padded practices, no preseason games, I feel for the undrafted players, I feel for the late-round picks, and I also feel for the guy that may have made a strong impression in the Zoom meeting, Paul, but he just, let's face it, is not going to have a legitimate amount of at-bats to prove that he belongs on the roster more so than the proven veteran.
1: Well, you know, I asked Jeff Eagles this yesterday when we did our BBK show, and the question was, and maybe I'm going to ask it to you right now, uh, you know, if there were one preseason game, how much a part of each player's grade would that game tape be? And now that there are not going to be any, I mean, boy, talk about how you have to readjust your grades. Uh, there will be no live opportunities to put some stuff on tape unless, again, there are some scrimmages, either intra squad or otherwise. Uh, this is, man, this is a different deal. And look, Lance, you've been around a while too now, uh, and you know as well as I do, there are some guys who are better in the classroom and maybe not as good at practice, but then they get on the field. And all of a sudden, they're outstanding. I mean, I'll give you a great example. Plexico Burris was not a good practice player at all, but man, did you want him on the field on Sunday? And you know, that's just the way it is. There are certain guys. You know, I mean, basketball. It was always Allen Iverson. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. There were there players. <laughs> well, that players. was
0: well, out of you. Wow.
1: There are athletes, pro athletes. <laughs> who are not good in the classroom or not good on the practice field, but that they get it done on game day. You and I both know this, and I'll repeat this ten times if I have to. That just happens to be a fact. And that's one of the reasons sometimes that a guy's going to get cut by a team or two, and then on the third try he lands with a coaching staff that maybe tolerates it a little bit better or maybe understands him better and is able to soften some of the edges, and they decide, you know what? We're going to get this guy out there on game day because he can produce. And all of a sudden, on the guy's third team, he becomes a regular player, and he's getting the job done. This happens all the time. I don't think a lot of fans really realize that.
0: And we talk about it every season. There's guys that they just show up on Sundays. They're not necessarily... Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday players, but Sunday or game day. That's why I didn't mention also Monday and Thursday, because I know we're going to hear from some people on Twitter. Well, you know, you got to watch out for the other days where there's games. Okay. I did that purposely for those Mm -hmm. of you paying close attention here Mm -hmm. on this program. And I agree with you. We've seen it. We've seen it every season. There's also been stories from coaches. Couldn't get this guy to show me anything on the practice field. All of a sudden the lights went on and everything clicked. So it's going to be much more difficult To get a reading on those players. Now, maybe here is the silver lining, Paul, and I'm curious your perspective. One of the things I know we talked about previously before we knew maybe whether or not there would be a preseason is you'd want to hide players, right, especially the undrafted guys. You don't want to put them out in a preseason game because you're worried that there's going to be film out there. And then all of a sudden, when you don't have a spot for him, he's got to go through waivers, you lose him because somebody else claims him. If there's no preseason games, Paul, there's not going to be any film on the bulk of the back end of your roster. Maybe we're not going to see as many waiver claims this year, and the chances of you retaining – all of those players to put on what is expected to be a 16-man practice squad increase, skyrocket. So, therefore, continuity will be maintained, meaning all the guys that went through the Zoom meetings, all the guys that are going to be with you in training camp, the chances of them then staying with you, passing through waivers, perhaps increases, and that could be beneficial, especially if, unfortunately, a player catches the coronavirus or an injury, Mm -hmm. and then you maintain the group that you worked with over the course of the last few months?
1: Well, we talk every single summer about coaches who would like to hide a guy, sneak him through waivers, and get him onto the practice squad. I mean, let's make no bones about it. That does happen around the league, and sometimes they will start restricting a guy's preseason snaps because they've seen so much of him in practice that they really, really like him. And they're like, okay, he's getting five snaps on Saturday because we don't want him getting too much game tape out there. It's 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 not going to bode well. He's going to get claimed by somebody. That does happen. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. And so you're absolutely right in in today's pandemic world, it now appears like you won't have any trouble hiding a guy because <laughs> the other teams aren't yeah. going to be able to see him. See now, it's
0: important to note as a parallel here The Giants broadcast team has found it impossible to hide you over the years, Paul. See, we wanted other teams to know of your speed on the sideline, but ever since Baldy put out that scouting video of what you pulled off this past season, I think it was against maybe Washington or could be another team. I may have been mistaken. That has been thrown out the window. So thank you for making it very difficult for all of us to hide you and some of your underlying (laughs) skill set.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I, I will say this, Lance, in, in all honesty, though. The bad news is there's a flip side to that, and that is if a player gets caught for whatever reason in a numbers game or gets a little bit dinged up in whatever practices that they have, it's going to be harder for him now to hook on somewhere else because other, teams won't, yeah. Yeah, other teams won't have Great point. that preseason game tape where he may have run for a 65-yard touchdown and made a bunch of people inquire about him. Well, and that's why I
0: feel for all those guys that we're talking about. Put yourself in the shoes, and I'm not talking you necessarily, Paul, our listeners as well. You spent months in Zoom meetings. You're learning the offensive defense backwards and forwards, and you're highly anticipating finally getting out there, not just on the practice field, but a preseason game. And unfortunately, that doesn't come to fruition. You don't make the roster. You pass through waivers, and maybe they don't have a spot for you on the practice squad, but you couldn't show anything for the rest of the league. I think, well, we get into preseason games, and, you know, most of the veterans will tell you, oh, well, the coaches pretty much have an idea of what the roster is going to be about anyway. That's why it's okay to sacrifice the preseason, and vets will tell you, well, I barely play, but The bulk of the NFL body is not just the 22 guys, Paul, that start on offense and defense and the complementary special teamers. The bulk of the NFL body in terms of the players is those bubble guys, those fringe guys, those practice squad guys, the guys that desperately need as much film opportunity as humanly possible. And once again, I feel for them because it really stinks, and it's nothing against them. It's just this was – what they were dealt, the cards they were dealt this offseason. Unfortunately, the year they come into the NFL, Mother Nature, the coronavirus gets thrown their way, and this is just the latest hurdle that they're faced with. But that shouldn't be dismissed. I mean, we can't overlook that. There's going to be so many of these stories that we'd be talking about offseason after offseason. We're not going to have them anymore, Paul. That's the reality of the circumstance.
1: No, I mean, Lance, we've, tested, we've said this a million times, too. It is what it is. And the world is fluid, and we're all flying by the seat of our pants, and we're making things up as we go along. We just don't have a choice, do we? Not at all. We
0: do have a choice whether or not to take this next caller, Paul. And I think you know who this next caller is, so... Unfortunately, we need to free up the line, yeah. so that's why we're taking the call. I want our audience to understand this, okay? Yeah. I am taking this great, next call, people, because we need to get the line freed up so the rest <laughs> of you could take part in the conversation. Charlie in <laughs> Portland, Maine joins us. Wow. Hey
3: guys. Wow. That was a good segue. Yeah. That was a great segue. Hey, um, I just think you guys are over – I mean, we're not planning D-Day invasion here, you know? They can, you know, they don't have to scrimmage other players. They can scrimmage themselves. They've got That's what a nine we guy about. roster, you know. They can scrimmage themselves. They can put a guy up in a tower or up in a ladder somewhere. See how that works, and they Charlie, can put him back down listen, on the field.
1: Don't you listen to the show? No,
3: he clearly he doesn't,
0: Paul. I think we've <laughs> self answered that <laughs> no.
3: one. No, we, no, we we had this very
1: conversation about intra squad. Remember yeah. blue and white, green and white game? We talked yeah. about that.
3: Well, yeah. Well, you're saying like. Maybe like the Jets. And the, that's not going to happen. No, they can we said the that off. that would, that
1: would yeah, be a terrible. nice possibility, but in all likelihood right. it won't, so you'd have right. to scrimmage against yourselves. That's perfectly right. fine. Right, exactly. If that's all and you they can do.
3: Get, yeah, and they'll get that information that they need before they play a game. Now, there's two words that are very important this year. For players, for coaches, it's called adapt and adopt coaches and the players that can adapt and adopt will be the most success, successful this season. And what I mean by that, if I use a music analogy, they've got to learn to play jazz, not classical music. They can't play Bach and Beethoven. They've got to improvise. They've got to play jazz. They've they got to you know, flow with what's happening, and they've got to change on a dime, and they cannot be rigid. Whoever is going to be rigid is going to have an awful season this year. So I don't know where Judge is on that. We'll find out if he's playing jazz or he's going to be playing Bach.
0: Well, that was some parallel. I'm letting that sink in here because I didn't think that Charlie was going to be waxing poetic for us on this latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. I agree with you. I think every coach is going to be put to the test in that regard, and we certainly appreciate Charlie for weighing in and providing such wonderful literature and analogies for us. It's going to come down to coaches going back into their archives, what they did in the 2011 lockout, where I think teams adapted and adopted to his point. I think also GMs are going to have to adapt and adopt. I think it's important for, and we were talking about this on previous programs, Paul, If your offensive coordinator catches the coronavirus, you better have plan B, C, and D ready. Who's going to call plays the next game? If you yourself, as the head coach... Unfortunately catches the virus who's next in line to take over and how will you then communicate with the team so that there's no lost message all of these things have to be thought of and these are conversations that you probably weren't thinking about in previous years so that's another example of where individuals are going to have to adapt and adopt but here's where I think Charlie was overlooking our point. As you brought up earlier, we did mention intra-squad games in which the Giants would break up and play blue versus white or however you want to label it. But here's where I disagree with him, Paul. I think it's important if you're going to have an intra-squad game, you need to have it in the stadium because in the stadium is where you're going to have a similar sideline and you can actually put a coach up in the box. Him talking about you put a coach up on a ladder. Come on. I mean, let's be practical. I want to simulate... Paul a game day situation and you don't simulate a game day situation if you're at the Giants practice facility considering the two of us know the layout of the land you're not going to get a box there you're not going to get anything similar to a game so if they're going to hold an intra scrimmage it's got to be at the stadium as opposed to the actual team facility
1: Lance you haven't figured this out yet there's the right idea and then there's Charlie's idea yeah well said <laughs> yeah
0: See, that's another example, by the way, and I've accused this of Charlie on social media. So I'm not dancing around the subject. I'm not letting the entire audience know about it. (laughs) He calls in for the sake of calling in more often than not. That's my opinion. We will take your phone calls on this subject. At nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty, 1960 And there's the latest example. He did not listen to what Paul and I specifically said at the beginning of the program. He was beating to his own drum, and he wanted to hear his own voice. You see, Charlie, we know your game, okay? And I'm not letting you get off the hook so easily. See, this is when the hosts take back the show day, okay? This is what Tuesday's Big Blue Kickoff Live is all about. Charlie is no longer steering this ship, okay? I want all Giants fans to understand, Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino, John Schmell, we are taking back control of this ship, okay? It is hopefully in good hands, and that hopefully makes you feel secure. And fill up the phone lines as humanly possible so Charlie can't call back, just as our next caller, Mark in Chicago, has answered the call. What's happening, Mark?
2: Boy, I got on right away. I'm shocked. Okay,
4: thanks for saving us. Yes, (laughs) thanks,
2: thanks for taking the call. I have no poetry I want to read or anything like that. But um, one of the questions I have, in in all the discussions that we're hearing about COVID and testing, and you know, I don't know if it's that hard. I mean, we've had leagues already start, like in Europe and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think they have some information that they can use to figure out what the protocol should be, and so on and so forth. And they but are no, considering it,
1: that, Mark. By the way, the NFL is looking at everybody's league, yeah. not only here but overseas as well, to see whatever they can glean from their situations and try to use them you know, when they get started now. So you're, you're right. I mean, there, there are things they can draw from.
2: Yeah. But the one thing that isn't being talked about, and it's been touched on on this show, is what are they talking about player responsibility? I mean, to me... And also the coaches and everything else. You know, what are, what are their what's their responsibility? When those guys leave the building, you know, no one really knows where they're going. And if mm-hmm. someone comes down with COVID, you know, my solution, and I don't think it would ever get passed because of the C B A, is if somebody did you do contact tracing and if somebody did something irresponsible, then you know then maybe they don't get paid. I mean if they did something stupid and went to a party Yeah, why should... And they've infected their team. Why should they even get paid? Put the onus on the player to do the right thing when they leave the building.
1: That may be one of the talking points that they're still going through because they've said there are many details still to be uh, discussed. I would say this, Mark. You are 100% correct that unlike the NBA, which has bubbled their entire league, the NFL and Major League Baseball even, uh, their players and their managers and their coaches... They're all going home, and you have to believe. You don't have a choice. You have to believe that they are going to be smart. They will be diligent. They will be responsible. You don't really have a choice. You can't babysit everybody 24 hours a day unless you pull what the NBA did, and that's not practical for the NFL.
0: Yeah, you can't duplicate a bubble. To your point, Mark, personal responsibility is a big part of this equation. I completely agree with you. However, what I will say is while there is data from some of these other leagues, what they're doing, to Paul's point, the bubble data for the NBA and the NHL, I don't know how much you truly learn from that, given the fact that the NFL is not going to have a bubble. So there's a little bit more of a controlled area that those two leagues are operating with. And if you want to go over to Europe and you're talking about soccer – While, yes, there is some physical activity in soccer, I would argue there's much more in the NFL. So I think until we see the games, that's going to be the true test to see whether or not the NFL is going to have a really strong grasp. But there have been some talks about consequences that the players could perhaps face, to your point, if they do not act responsibly outside of the facility. And that's why one of the things that the union has emphasized, the players themselves, forget the coaches and the teams, players have been preaching to other players. I know J.J. Watts, one of them, who's been extremely vocal on social media. Guys have to know that you may have to make some sacrifices throughout this season where you're not going to go out to have dinner. You're not going to go out and socialize with friends, to your very point, because those decisions don't just put you in a precarious spot. It puts the rest of the entire team, coaches included, in a precarious spot. So I think that's well taken.
1: Let me ask you this because, obviously, you've called us many, many times and you're very sensible. How do you think you would feel if you were a player and you were irresponsible and you did something foolish and you know that with, you know, camera phones and with Twitter and social media, you know, stuff is always going to get out somewhere somehow. So what happens if you did go to a bar, you did go to a barbecue, you did go to a party, whatever it was that you did, and you were in a crowd and all of a sudden the next week it turns out that you're a positive, how embarrassed, how humiliated would you feel? Knowing, you know, that you've got to look your teammates in the eye, your coaches in the eye, your organization in the eye, and say, yeah, I was caught right-handed, you got me, I did this, and I put everybody else in this organization at risk because I was stupid. How how small do you think you would feel?
2: I think it depends on the person, because all we have is the example of DeAndre Baker and what he allegedly did. I'm not sure how he's feeling right now, but he sure tried to cover it up. So... You know, I think it depends on the person and how sensible that they are. And you've got to realize that we're dealing with, you know, in some cases, some pretty young guys, you know, 22, 23, 24. Of course, 24. yeah, they're just
1: removed from college.
2: Yeah. yeah, they're not very mature at that point.
1: So. It's a fair answer, and I do think that it does depend on the guy. But, you know, I think anybody with any common sense or any sensibility at all would just feel smaller than a mouse, if if they put themselves into that position and then wound up being the culprit that put a team or teammates at risk I uh, but again maybe I'm just giving people too much credit
2: well yeah I mean it's 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 so hard to figure it out and it's based on the character of the person and you would hope that you know the types of guys that we've been drafting have that kind of character so it's a very complex situation so I appreciate the conversation I do have one other question I wanted to ask. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. yeah real quick. What do you got? So, um, on, over the weekend, I videotaped or DVR'd this throwback about the 2002 playoff game against San Francisco. Um, and one of the things they brought up was Rich Soybert and how he felt after that game. Paul, I've never really heard uh, you know anything about that because I lived in Chicago at the time and we didn't he have was the, mugged. Yeah, I, I know he was, but. Could you give us some insight into what the locker room and so forth was like after that?
1: Well, I was not on the road in in those days, so I was back at home. I was actually working for uh, one of the other radio stations in New York and doing pre and post, uh, you know, kind of wraparound shows around the Giants' postseason run. Uh, I can only tell you that the next day, uh, when the Giants had come back, and obviously it was uh, time for baggy day because they had to wrap things up, uh, I was there and there were a lot of very not only despondent guys but a lot of guys who were flat out angry and did not understand how the rules were not followed when it was so blatant and and just i mean you could not you could not have missed the call so did you either not see it which seems to be impossible or did you not know the rules which also kind of seems impossible uh so on two fronts the non-call was extremely offensive, agitating, frustrating. Pick the adjective that you like, Mark, but you are a 1,000% correct. It was problematic. To this day, it will always be problematic for anybody who was involved in that game.
0: Mark, actually, yeah. on the subject, before we let you go, if you actually want a feel for what went on after the game or in the locker room, Jeff and I spoke to Jim Fossil. I don't know if you caught that interview on Big Blue Kickoff Live a few months ago. It's also as part of our Huddle podcast. I could tweet out the link after the show, but you may want to check that out because we actually discussed that very game and the end of that game, and he gave some insight on that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, my takeaway from the game is I lost all respect for Jeremy Shockey because when he dropped that pass in the end zone, he got up, he was laughing, and that really irritated me. So thanks for the time, guys. You got it, Mark. Appreciate the phone call, and thanks so much for tuning in as well. There were a lot of culprits in in
1: that game as they let that one get away. It's one of the the worst-blown games in franchise history and certainly one of the worst-blown games in NFL postseason history. And you know what also is coincidental about that game? Sean Payton, who was on the
0: Giants coaching staff, he then becomes the head coach of the Saints and Mm -hmm. is involved in the Mm -hmm. Rams-Saints game. So Mm -hmm. just think about that's happened to Sean twice throughout the course Mm -hmm. of his career on the biggest stage in terms of the playoffs.
1: Mm-hmm. So. And, and to this day, to this day, you know, anybody who was there in the building or saw the game on television, and obviously it's been played on highlights many times over over the years, uh, you, you can't help but shake your head and wonder how how is it that none of the officials on the field, none of the officials came up with the right, right answer? How? I, I, it boggles the mind boggles the mind.
0: That human element, as I always bring up. And remember, there wasn't as much replay back then, too. Let's also at least provide some fair context as well, but certainly frustrating, at least through the Giants fan lens. Before we get back to the phones, I want to also give people an opportunity who are weighing in on social media, and we certainly appreciate your feedback as you're tuning in. Here's an interesting question. This comes from John on Twitter, at Heights HHC. What about the player who needs to show he can hit and winds up hurting a star player or puts Sterling Shepard, for example, out for the season. Now, what I will respond to that, Paul, and this goes back in case people are tuning in right now for the first time, we were talking about the logistics of training camp. If there's no preseason games and there's limited padded practices, guys who are itching to prove to the coaching staff they have far fewer opportunities. So John's bringing up the question, all right, so the guy who is – fighting for that fifth linebacker spot or whatever. Here's his opportunity, Paul. He doesn't have a preseason game, so he's going to look to make a statement in practice. And there have been padded practices before. It's not as if they don't have hardcore padded practices, Paul, when they actually have a preseason. So I don't really think the dynamics are going to change. I think the players are still going to be motivated. Once again, my response to that would be Sterling Shepard, just to use him as an example because that's who was brought up on Twitter, he could get hurt if we had four preseason games. He could be hurt if we had two preseason games. I don't think the threat of injury is going to go away simply because there's no preseason games this year.
1: You're right. And let's face it, uh, you know, it, this has been a, uh, I don't, I don't want to say a, a theory, but it's certainly been a, an item that has been talked about for many years about why do head coaches you know, over the course of time, decide not to play their starters as many snaps during these preseason games? Well, it's because the other team's rookie undrafted safety is going to, you know, be like a missile and take out one of our guys. I mean, you know, again, when I started doing this, and and it even goes back to when I was a little kid back in the early 70s, I mean, Fran Tarkenton played all the way into the fourth quarter you know, when he was quarterbacking the Giants. It was not uncommon for him to play into the fourth quarter of a preseason game. I mean, that's just the way it was. That, that's not going to happen today. There's no way, no how.
0: Well, and this relates to also conversations we've had in the past, and this just is my personal opinion. I don't get caught up in the risk of injury because it's a physical game. Injuries are a part of the equation. Do you think, Paul, that Ryan Connolly, feels any better about himself during the course of rehab that he got hurt in the fourth regular season game as opposed to the third preseason game, right? So my point is, from the player's perspective, it stinks when you get hurt, okay? It doesn't really matter when it happens because the bottom line is you don't have a crystal ball, You can't predict when it's going to happen. So the bottom line is you go out with the mindset. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to play hard, and hopefully the cards are in place that I'll get through the season. That's why if a coach wants to play a starter in the third preseason game, hey, more power to him. If your coach scared, Paul, and you play scared, that's when actually dangerous things happen. So I would never want a player or a coach to be thinking like that.
1: Yeah, I totally understand, Lance. Look, with everything that we do, there is a risk-reward, Right. I mean, yeah. you just you have to gauge the risk-reward no matter what it is. Even if it means crossing the street to go to the delicatessen, there's a risk-reward factor there. And everybody needs to use their own sensibilities in a given situation to figure out what that is. And when you're a football player, there is always going to be a heavier injury risk because of the nature of the game than you would like there to be. Then you have to say, okay, well, what is the reward in If I am actually preparing myself to be able to play better during the regular season. If you think that reward is really high and that preparation and being in those preseason plays is going to make you a better player once the real games start. Well, then you have your answer. Then you're going to tell your coach, I need to play these snaps. I need to get in there. And then, you know, maybe the coach will agree with you. Or then again, this is where the money, and it goes back to the economics again, Lance. I'm sorry, but a lot of times it does. You've got the contracts, the guaranteed salaries, the salary cap, and those things are really what then factored into these decisions as to why coaches are less likely to play their regulars the number of preseason snaps that they really need. And you can blame it on free agency and the salary cap. I know things that are so dear to your heart.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm not going there. I'll save that for another program. All right. I only have so much armor on today to handle the final seven or eight minutes of this program. (laughs) I will say, though, where I was going to go when you were talking about risk-reward, just to provide further perspective for our listeners, I wanted to make it clear That you go on a power walk every day, and we know that you're in a vicinity where there's lions, tigers, and bears, and you run the risk every day, yet you still go through the power walk. So if you can get through that, Paul, then there's no reason why one guy can't play a few snaps in a preseason.
1: You forgot the skunks. I'm
0: sorry. My apologies. I should have led off (laughs) with that part of the animal kingdom. I chose to go bigger and better. I should have started with the 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 squirrels,
1: too. I've yet to be sprayed.
0: Well, that's why you are a true <laughs> renaissance man. I am just to too elusive yes. for them. You are. That's why nobody goes on the power walks with you, because we know how elusive you oh, are. My. Let's head back to the phone lines. Peter is in the Florida Keys. He joins us on Tuesday's Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Peter?
4: Hey, guys. How are you guys doing
0: today? Doing all right. What's on your mind?
4: So I wanted to ask your opinions on two specific players for the 2020 season. Andrew Thomas and Daniel Jones. Uh, what I've heard—I have a lot of Giants fans, as you guys probably do as well—and there's a lot of excitement and hype for the 2020 season. When Andrew, uh, when Andrew Thomas was drafted, I've heard people saying how he's a savior of the offensive line and how they're going to be a top 10 unit. Uh, Daniel Jones, in his second year, I hear fans saying that they're going—he's uh, going to. Take the team on his back and bring him to the playoffs easily this year. So to pump the brakes on some of these fans. Well,
1: who are you talking to? to That's that. who I'd like to know.
4: Oh, it's because World, the, the, my these friend. these people
1: these these people who you're talking to seem to to like to exaggerate just a little bit, don't they?
4: <laughs> I agree. Now to pump pump the brakes on a couple of these mindsets. How, in your opinion, would you feel that Andrew Thomas, in your eyes, would be a successful season, and how, in your eyes, would uh, Daniel Jones have a successful season for 2020?
0: All right, Peter. Well, we appreciate the uh, phone call. We'll let you go on that note just because we want to try to see if we can squeeze in a call or two before we wrap up the program. We spoke a lot about Daniel Jones earlier, so let's start with Andrew Thomas, Paul. And the question was, what would we need to see out of him to say that Thomas would have a successful season? Well, I think, number one, you want to see him get on the field and get a number of starting opportunities, whether it be on the right side or the left side. I think you want to walk away with that type of a sample size before the year is over outside of that I can't really quantify what I would say would be a successful season because I don't think he's going to be a savior I don't think there's any one player that I would label Paul as a savior of the team even if the Giants drafted Isaiah Simmons who a lot of people wanted I don't think he was gonna be a savior it's gonna take more than one player in particular for both of the units, special teams as well, to make significant strides. But I would say if you just want to focus on Thomas, I think if he could get as much experience as humanly possible as a rookie in this scheme, work on his development, being tested by NFL pass rushers, and handle his business, meaning, yeah, there's going to be some ups and downs, but you know what? He bounces back, he handles his business. That, to me, I would say would be a step in the right direction for him as a rookie.
1: I'll give you two quantifications for Thomas having a successful rookie season. Number one would be that he's able to play all 16 games and stays away from injury because the last thing in the world you want for this rookie or for any rookie is to wind up losing time on the sidelines because he got hurt. So let's just make that the standard that, that you're always going to feel about any rookie. But I do think the other one is going to be I'd like to see him play well enough that he is on the NFL's all rookie team at tackle because there are only going to be two of those picked and there were a bunch of offensive tackles drafted very highly in this particular draft. And when you're the first one taken and you're number four overall, you better be the best of the bunch right out of the gate. So I'd like to see him make the NFL All Rookie team right away.
0: And that's fair. I think that would be certainly encouraging for the Giants coaching staff, I don't know, once again, you know, if a guy doesn't get an individual piece of hardware, if I would say it's disappointing, because remember, part of that is popularity contests, similar to Pro Bowls and so forth. So, you know, I always try to put things in perspective when it comes to individual awards, but hey, you get 16 games out of him at potentially right tackle. He's on the field. He handles his business against some of the premier pass rushers and By the way, he's going to see a lot of premier pass rushers early in the season because the Giants are going to be tested against some really good defenses, so it's going to come fast and furious his way. You'll get an idea of what Andrew Thomas can handle if he is part of the starting five to begin the season. There's no doubt about that. As far as Daniel Jones is concerned, Once again, I think you want to see the turnovers be cut down, specifically the fumbles, maybe more so than the interceptions, because a 2-to-1 ratio is nothing to cry about as a rookie. I think you want to see him have a good grasp of this offense in the early stages of the season. And I think you want to see some of the chemistry he built, Paul, with some of those offensive weapons when they were on the field last year, picks up. For example, he was very productive with Caden Smith late last year. I want to see that return to form. He started to have great feel for Darius Slayton. I want to see that pick up where it left off. So, you know, those are the other things
1: that I think are signs of Daniel Jones moving in the right direction. Well, I'll just make it a little more simple because I've always believed that the elite quarterbacks in the league can practically will their teams to victory as many as three or four times over the course of a given season where the game's not going well, you know, guys just aren't making enough of plays, and then what happens? The quarterback rises above the fray, and basically he pulls the game out because he makes a number of spectacular plays in the fourth quarter, specifically down the stretch. Guys like John Elway were very, very good at doing that over the course of his career. Uh, So... If a guy does that three or four times during a given season, then that puts him, in my opinion, in the elite category. I'd like to see Daniel Jones, who did that against Tampa Bay in his first start last year as a rookie with the Giants, I'd like to see him do that at least two more times during the 2020 season. And and show me a little progress there. Show me that that wasn't a fluke last year, that you did it once. Show me that you can do that on a repetitive basis. Because if he's really going to be elite and turns out to be the franchise guy that they believe he will be, then then he's going to do that as commonplace over the course of his career. Well, here's another
0: thing that I would throw out connected to your point. I also would pay very close attention to Daniel Jones' performance against divisional foes. And I'll throw this out for the entire offense if you want to talk about expectations Let's face it, Paul, if the Giants are going to move forward, that record within the division has to improve, okay? And this may be stating the obvious, but we've gone through a number of seasons where we continue to emphasize the divisional games, and it becomes somewhat of an Achilles heel. So how does Daniel Jones perform against the Cowboys? Remember, he only had one start against Dallas last year. So how does he handle that? Philadelphia, you had two games late in the season, but remember... Eli Manning played one of those Philadelphia games because Jones was hurt. So we have yet to see how Daniel Jones handles the limelight, the pressure, the significance of divisional games. That, to me, is going to be something that I certainly would be utilizing to monitor to say, hey, you know, he's got what it takes, which I think is connected to what you're talking about if he has to will his team to victory. But can he do it? against specifically the three divisional foes, which you know is the difference between making the playoffs
1: and being on the outside looking in. I think that's a good point, Lance. It's just another piece in the puzzle that he has to navigate. So that is going to wrap things up
0: for us here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the phone calls. Appreciate the tweets. You can continue to submit your questions, giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions, or you can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Paul, look forward to having the conversation again later this week. Enjoyed it as always. We'll catch you up to you soon, Lance. Thanks. We will be back up and running with a fresh edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Wednesday, so stay tuned for that as we continue to get you set for the start of training camp, which is looking much more promising in getting going at the scheduled start date of July 28th based on the progress that both sides have made. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.